If you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 15, we'll continue our series there on God as a pursuing father. If you're visiting today, one of the things that we do as a church is regularly work our way through books of the Bible or sections of the Bible. And so we've been working our way through Jesus' parables in Luke chapter 15, and we've landed on the son, the prodigal son who has left home. We saw that last week. He had so many hopes and dreams and promises for the far country of how life-giving and fulfilling it would be. He found out it has left him empty. And we'll pick up the story there as we move forward this morning. Before we come to the reading of God's Word, I want to share with you a story that will put uh, where the sun is in context. In 1982, a, a flight left from Denver, Colorado, headed towards Chicago. And a gentleman by the name of Captain Al Haynes was the pilot. Some of you might maybe have heard of this story or remember this story, but he leaves Chicago. They've been flying for about an hour. There's 285 passengers on board. For an hour, everything is going just fine. And then they hear a massive explosion. It was an explosion in the back of the jet. The rear engine had exploded. They lost all function in the rear rudder and the flaps. And all of a sudden, the plane veered straight up into the sky and straight to the right. And the first words of the captain were, I got this. Well, he did not have it. And so for the next 15, 20 minutes, he and his co-pilot tried to level out the plane. They didn't have the function of steering or anything else like that, so they had to up uh, the throttle on one engine, pull it down on the other, just to get some direction on the plane, but they still knew that they were going down and they were going to crash. But the pilot, in his conversation, said, I got it. Well, thankfully, he came to the point where he realized he didn't have it, and there was someone in the back of the plane that knew what he was doing. And he happened to be a crisis pilot instructor and had been for over 30 years. And his name was Denny Fitch. He came up to the pilots and he said, may I help? And they said, please do. And so they flew for about another hour, hour and a half. Sadly, the, because of the catastrophic failure in the back of the plane, uh, the landing gear could not come down, but they still landed at an airport and almost everybody survived, even though they still mildly crashed on the other end of the line. But in almost every other scenario, that would have been such a catastrophic failure that it would have been a total loss of life. And here's what's interesting. At a news conference later on, about a month after the crash, uh, the pilot came and spoke to the newspapers and all the news outlets and things like that. And he said this, which I found fascinating. He said, I think some of the dumbest words I've ever spoken in my life were, I got this. He knew he needed help. He knew he couldn't do it alone. He knew there was a catastrophic failure that if someone who didn't come along, who knew what they were doing, could help, it was over not just for him, but for everybody that was on the plane with him. But there was someone there who could help, and he had to acknowledge that. That's one of the things that you're going to see here in this text this morning. The son begins to come to a place where his trip to the far country, he begins to be honest with himself and recognizes it has been a catastrophic failure. And in the very beginning, you can see his first strategy was to hire himself out, to feed pigs. And in other words, his heart was saying, I got this. I can fix it. 
But for the first time in our story, the son finally comes to a moment of clarity. And he finally acknowledges that he needs help. So this morning we're going to see two things as we look at this text. We're going to see that grace changes your inner conversation. You'll see that in the sun. We'll see that in our own lives. Grace changes our inner conversation. And not only that, grace not only changes his inner conversation, but it also changes his and our heart's direction. Uh, Let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 15. Uh, We're going to be specifically looking at 17 through 20, but I'll, I'll read the beginning of the story again just to put it in context. God's word, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, our text for today. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Amen. The reading of God's word, which he has given to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let's pray. Father, we arise this morning and we come to you because you're our Father. You're our Father because you've given your Son for us and through his life, death, and resurrection, you've reconciled us back to yourself. Be our vision, even as we just sung this morning. Would we not just get glimpses, but a full view of your goodness to us in Christ? And would we be, through this text, constantly reminded that you're a good Father And there's never any reason why we'd ever need to leave your presence. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that you see here in this text is that grace changes your inner conversation. Grace changes your inner conversation. One of the things that the son is facing here in this text is his his failure to fix things on his own. He's gone off into the far country with hopes it would be everything that he ever dreamed of. And it's actually for him become a nightmare. He's trying to fix things. He made these decisions. He's made this bed. He's going to lie in it. He's going to fix it. He hires himself out. He's feeding pigs, which in his mindset, in the, the Jewish cultural mindset, made him incredibly defiled. But he's going to fix it. Well, he's finally coming to the place where he's thinking, I think I've failed here. I think I've sinned against my father. And I don't think I can fix this 
on my own. You can see that all of this here in the text that we're reading today is a part of his own inner conversation. He's coming face to face with his failure and his inability to fix his heart and his life on his own. And that's one of the ways that grace begins to work in my life and in yours when grace fully convinces us that we can never fix our heart or our life on our own. And our inner conversation begins to change. Uh, I've referred to this name before. His name is Jim Lair. He is the, the CEO and he's a psychologist of the Florida Performance Institute. He trains um, elite athletes, CEOs, celebrities, all kinds of people around the world to perform at their craft better. And one of the things that he says in his award-winning book is that all of us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, are always having an inner conversation with ourselves. This is one of the things that he says. He says, if you are human, you are constantly telling yourself stories, positive stories, negative stories, consciously, and far more often than not, subconsciously. From very early on, you're spinning and telling multiple stories about your life, publicly and privately, stories that have a theme, a tone, a premise, whether you know it or not. Some stories are better, some stories are worth, but no one lacks material, and everyone tells themselves a story. You see, the son's inner conversation, his story was, you know, my father, he's, he's so lame. I mean, life with him is so constricting. I, it's not even fun to be around him. Life in this town is miserable. But if I go into the far country, it's going to be so much better. If I just turn my back on my father and he gives me the inheritance, I'll be able to find the life that I want. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be fulfilling. I'm going to make a lot of friends. But his inner conversation here is starting to change. It's as if he's coming to what I would call a gospel awakening. A gospel awakening. The way that you begin to see grace in the son's life here in this text, and I, I believe the way that you begin to see grace in your life is when we come to a, what I would call a gospel awakening where you have a moment or a season of clarity and honesty about your need for mercy. A gospel awakening is a moment or a season where you come to clarity and honesty about your need for mercy. You see, the son is having a conversation just with himself at this point, saying, all those stories I was telling myself about what my father was like and about what the far country would be like and all the promises it made to me, I'm beginning to see they're not true. Promised fullness, and I feel nothing but emptiness. It promised fun, and I feel guilt. It promised joy, and I feel shame. I think I need help. So you can see that, that he, he does this, this inner conversation changed by him considering where he could be and contrasting that with where he currently is. So see how his inner conversation is changing here. He considers where he could be. Notice verse 17. When he came to himself... Uh, that's the Bible saying he's having a gospel awakening. Grace is working in his life. He's having a moment of clarity and honesty about his need for his mercy. When he came to himself, he said, now notice he is his own conversation partner here. 
But his inner dialogue is going something like this. It records it for us in verse 17. How many of my father's hired servants? So he's starting to think about where he could be now. Now it's no longer the, the far country that's appealing to him. It's his father's presence that is appealing to him. How many of my father's hired servants, not family, but his hired servants? You'll notice what he says. His hired servants don't simply have almost enough. In that culture, if you had people working for you and you not only paid them a daily wage, but also gave them almost enough for food, that, that might be reasonable. Or if, if they worked for you and you gave them enough food, that would be amazing. In that culture, you're being well taken care of and provided for, forever you have worked for. But the son is remembering and he's getting a glimpse of his father's goodness and saying, look, here are all these people who work for my father and they have more than enough. That's how good my father is. Even not just family, but those who work for him, he treats them like family. And they have more than enough. The son is beginning to rem remember his father's generosity, his father's mercy, and he's only getting a small glimpse of it. That's why last week when I said one of the first steps away from the father, when we turn our backs on God, one of the first steps is, is a lack of gratitude because we're almost completely blind to the goodness of God. But resonating deep within the son is a memory of how good his father is. He remembers that his father takes care of his servants and gives them more than enough. And he's saying, maybe there will be more than enough for me if I go home. Do you realize that when, when you begin to have a gospel awakening, or if you're a believer and it's a, it's a gospel deepening, and become to have an increasing clarity and honesty about your deep need for mercy, one of the ways that that comes is you have a glimpse of the Father's goodness. And I love how the, the New Testament will speak in language of, it doesn't just say that God has mercy, but that he's rich in mercy. And not just that he shows you that mercy, but he lavishes that mercy upon you. Peter would say that Jesus' blood wasn't just shed, it was his precious blood that was shed. All of these things saying that if you come to the Father through Christ, He has more than enough grace for you when you return home to Him. It's not just some grace, it's extravagant and extraordinary grace. And that's one of the ways we can tell if we're having a gospel awakening initially, or maybe a gospel deepening as a believer to say you're becoming more and more aware of your need for mercy, and you begin to consider more of the depths of the goodness of your Father. But notice he doesn't just consider where he could be. He contrasts that with, with where he is. If you look again in verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I but I perish here with hunger. It's as if he's almost counting. My father has so many hired servants and so many friends. I have so few friends here in the far country. I thought I'd have many. But when I was in need, nobody shows up to care for me. 
how many meals my father's servants are enjoying, how few meals I ever get to eat. How much fullness do my, does my father experience along with his family and those who work for him? How little fullness I ever experience. Do you see how he doesn't just consider where he could be, but he contrasts that with where he currently is. And he says, I perish here with hunger. There is no way that in this far country, this place, or these people, or these experiences are enough to fill what my heart and soul desperately need. And that's also part of the gospel awakening in your life, or a gospel deepening. You have a moment or a season of honesty and clarity about your need for mercy. You increasingly see the goodness of the Father in the gospel that would give His Son And you contrast that with the emptiness of a life apart from God and how your heart feels when we've turned our back on the Father. The Son is acknowledging that his heart has been deceived. His Father is better than he thought he was. And the far country is worse than he ever thought it would be. See, that's one of the things as we talk about this, that that grace changes your inner conversation. That one of the ways that you can know that the gospel is working in your heart, maybe initially, if you have questions about Jesus and grace and the Bible and what the gospel is all about, your inner conversation begins to change. You have clarity and honesty. You recognize how deeply you need mercy. And that's not just true of you if you're thinking about placing your faith in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, it's a gospel deepening. That's one of the aspects of the Christian life. If it's just not, it's not simply doing more and more. Hopefully it's believing more deeply in how good the Father is to you in and through Christ, even as you get a clearer grasp as your, of your desperate need for mercy. Have you had an initial gospel awakening? Knowing that you've turned from God, turned from your heavenly Father to try to find life apart from Him, but maybe a gospel awakening is happening in your life and you have a, a moment or you're going through a season of clarity and honesty that you need mercy. And like the sun, your inner conversation is changing. Maybe if I turn towards God and away from these things, He'll receive me with grace. Or maybe this morning, as a believer, have you had a gospel deepening? That your inner conversation is is also continuing to change. You increasingly see not only your need for mercy, but your willingness of the, the Father's willingness to give that mercy to you. So it's not only that grace changes your inner conversation, the question is, as we see the son having this conversation with himself, will it lead to action? Will his conversation lead to a decision to go in a different direction? And thankfully in this story, as Jesus tells it, it does. Grace not only changes your inner conversation, but it also changes your heart's direction. I'll say this as we move forward. A friend of mine a while back told me about one of the most wonderful Instagram pages on planet Earth. Uh, It is called Tourons of Yellowstone, a combination of tourists and morons, okay? 
And uh, so it's all these tourists who go to Yellowstone, and it's amazing because it's people kind of capturing other people on video going, what are they thinking? And so one is like this huge sign. It's just like, do not go off the trail. Pond is filled with burning sulfur. I mean, just like right in front of you. And then it's, if you have gone off the trail, please turn back. Pond is filled with burning sulfur. And then you see someone be like, wonder what it's like to put my finger in, you know. And then they go, ah, and they're screaming. And, you know, everyone's like, well, there you go, right? The sign said it, and what you thinking? And you get to watch it on Instagram, right? Or it's the one where, you know, all the cars are backed up, and there's these bison right by the road, and they're pretty calm. They're just chewing their cud, and there's all these signs along the road. Do not feed the bison. They can turn aggressive. They will harm you. And you see this person with a video camera, kind of, he got like some Oreos or something, because bison love Oreos. And he's trying to feed it to the bison. And all of a sudden, the bison's just like, I don't like Oreos. I'm going to take you down. Starts running after him. And they're like, why are you chasing me? The sign said. But you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. And we get to watch from how many miles away and just laugh, right? It's one of the natural impulses of my heart and yours. And it's not just some simple signs at Yellowstone. It's our Heavenly Father. It's God has made His will known in saying, if you go in this direction, it's dangerous for you. If you head towards me, it's life for you. In Isaiah chapter 53, says we all did this. We turned our back on life and we went the way that He warned us about. It says, all we like sheep have turned astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Boy, we thought it was so wise. We thought it would be so fun. We thought it would be so encouraging. But sooner or later, the son has come to this point where his inner conversation has said, things need to change. And we find that his life actually does change. His heart's direction does change. Notice verse 18. I will arise and go to my Father. So it's not just a grace awakening. It's what I would call this, a grace homecoming. One of the things that grace does isn't just give you an awakening where you have clarity and honesty about your need for mercy. It actually empowers you through the new heart that God gives you to go home to the Father. And that's what we see here in this text. A grace homecoming is turning away from the far country and life apart from God and turning back towards the heart of the Father in humble confession with the anticipation of His joyful, forgiving embrace. That's gospel homecoming, turning away from the far country, turning towards the heart of the Father in humble confession with anticipation of his joyful and forgiving embrace. Gospel homecoming. He says, I will arise and go to the Father. That's the right direction to go in. You'll notice in his heart there's no more. I need to try harder. I need to be better. There's no promising to try better or, or, excuse me, try harder or do better. He is giving up that hope. 
He is giving up the hope that he could do better or try harder apart from the presence of his Father. And so the first step in a gospel homecoming is turning away from the far country and turning towards the heart of the Father. Do you realize that when it comes to any true, deep, lasting change in your life, the first step is not promises to do better, promises to try harder, but to say, I am turning towards my Father. He will show mercy to me. And so you notice here, it says, he says in his inner conversation, verse 18, I will arise and go to my Father. But notice it's not just turning away from the far country and turning towards the heart of the the Father. It also entails humble confession. Humble confession. He says this. He says, Father, in verse 18, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, here's one of the things that you recognize here in this text of what there isn't in this conversation and what there is often in our hearts. And the first one is this, blaming. You know, if you didn't do those things or if my brother wasn't there at home who's so arrogant and self-righteous and hypocritical, I wouldn't have gone to the far country. It's actually your fault. I mean, you're the one that gave me the inheritance after all. There's no blaming. There's no excuse making because of circumstances. Here's, here's a few of my favorite blame games and a few of my favorite excuses. Uh, some of you know the name of Floyd Landis. He won the Tour de France in 2006. Of course, if you win the Tour de France, you're immediately tested for drugs. He gets tested the day after. They find, they find out that he's been doping. There's doping drugs in his system. And he says, I mean, you know what must have happened? I had a glass of whiskey last night, and I think someone slipped something in my drink. He later retracted those comments because he realizes uh, how bad a comments those were, and they did not add up to the hard testing that they did. 2010, the New York Knicks played a team. They got beat by over 20 points. What was their excuse in the press conference? They said, in all genuineness, the hotel that they stayed at the night before was haunted, and they didn't get any sleep. That's why they lost by 20 points. One of my other favorites as well, a famous actress, I won't share her name, but a famous actress got caught stealing from Saks Fifth Avenue in L.A. And they asked her, why did she do it? And she said, I'm practicing for a role I'm playing in a movie who's a thief. Excuses, right? Blaming. We don't just want to say, you know what? Caught. I doped and I cheated. You know what? I had a terrible game and we lost by 20 points. I stole. It's hard for us just to come out and humbly confess and say, this is what I did. But that's exactly what's happening here. Not only in a grace awakening, but in a grace homecoming. It's not only turning away from the far country and turning towards the heart of the Father. It includes humble confession. Father, I have turned my back on you. I've sought life apart from you. And you'll see that the son does just this. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Humble confession. You know, that's one of the things that 
The reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin would say that the whole life isn't simply just we begin with repentance and confession. Repentance and confession is something we do all of our life until we get to glory. Here are the ways I've fallen short. Here are the ways, Father, that I know I've sinned against you and others. I need your mercy and grace. Humble confession. No more excuses, no more blaming. Just straight up, this is what's happened. These are the actions that I've done. These are the attitudes I've had in my heart. This is the orientation that my life has taken, and I need your grace. But you'll notice the last one. A gospel homecoming is turning away from the far country and towards the Father in humble confession with the anticipation of the Father's joyful, forgiving embrace. So this is where in the third portion he gets the wrong prescription. Notice what he says in verse 19. And yet this is what I think most of our hearts naturally and intuitively go towards. The humble confession I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 19. And then he ends with, treat me as one of your hired servants. It's as if, in a sense, the possibility of minimal mercy is enough to make the son want to go home. You know what? I can tell my father genuinely I'm sorry. He can start me at the bottom. I'll work my way back up. I used to, when I used to teach on this passage, I would say, I think the son is lying here. I don't think it's genuine repentance. I think he's trying to just full-on earn his way back. And here's what I would say nowadays in, in light of reading this text more, studying it more, I think it's genuine repentance. I think it's to the core genuine. And I think it's imperfect. And I also think that none of us ever gets repentance perfect. And still the Father embraces us when we come home. It's imperfect because he says, okay, it'll be minimal mercy. He'll let me work my way back up. He can't even fathom at this point extravagant mercy. But that's exactly what you'll see. In this story, what you have is the, the possibility of minimal mercy is enough to make the son go home. But what we will see is it's always the certainty of extravagant mercy. It is what draws our heart away from the far country and back to God. Sinclair Ferguson, one of my favorite pastors, theologian, says this, What gives repentance power is not the guilt evoked by the law alone, but the grace proclaimed to us only in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. You see, for the son, it's minimal kindness. Okay, the father will accept me, but he'll let me just start off as a hired hand. He has no clue what's coming, does he? No clue how joyfully and forgivingly the father is going to embrace him. And for you this morning, whether it's a gospel awakening or gospel deepening, in our gospel homecomings, it's the anticipation of a joyful, forgiving embrace, not minimal mercy where you work your way back, but extravagant mercy where he embraces you and throws you a party. I love how the story ends, and this is where I will end as well. We've talked about a need for a gospel awakening where we really realize that if we say, I got this, might be one of the most foolish things we could ever say. But what we need is mercy. 
And we have that when we have that gospel awakening and we realize that we turn from sin to the Father. And the gospel homecoming, we turn away from the far country towards the Father in humble confession and with a joyful anticipation of His embrace. And you'll notice that He said, verse 18, I will arise and go. And then in verse 20 it says, And He arose and came to His Father. Let me just end with this. How do we come to the Father? I love how Jesus says it. He says it very plainly. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're having a gospel awakening and there's clarity and honesty about your need for mercy, that you need to go home to the Father, and you're sensing a gospel homecoming, that you're turning away from the far country back towards the Father, you're humbly confessing. Jesus says, the way back to the Father is through me. I love sinners. I gave myself for them. Arise and come to the Father, but come to Him through me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this story that Jesus himself, our Savior, tells of a young man who has a heart like all of us here in this room who believed the lies of the far country and has a gospel awakening and a gospel homecoming. Father, change our hearts' inner conversations. Help us see our need for mercy and change our hearts' direction. Would we not walk away from you but towards you every moment of every day. Because every moment of every day is exactly the moments that we desperately need your grace. So showered upon us in and through your Son, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, we ask in his name. Amen.